This month's best case ever comes from one of my heroes. Now, back in about 2001 on my tri-weekly jogging expeditions, I'd eagerly put on my headphones, crank up the volume, and listen intently to every word that Dr. Stuart Swadron said on EM Rap. After all, he was and still is Captain Cortex, one of the world's greatest EM educators. In fact, if it wasn't for Dr. Swadron, there very likely would have never been an EM cases. He literally was my inspiration to start the EM Cases podcast. So thank you, Dr. Swadron. Now, normally I try to avoid any politically tinged material on EM Cases, as I'm always trying to strive for a balanced view. But this time, I gave Dr. Swadron free reign. So strap on your seatbelt and get ready for an eye-opening, controversial, slightly political rant as Dr. Swadron tells us his best case ever. On Emergency Medicine Cases, we bring you Canada's brightest minds in emergency medicine. Now, this time we have Dr. Stuart Swadron. Now, some of you might not know that Dr. Swadron actually is a Canadian citizen. Even though he practices down in LA, Dr. Swadron went to medical school at the University of Toronto where EM Cases records from. Hi, Anton. Welcome to EM Cases. We're excited to have you here. It's a pleasure to be up here in Toronto. So Dr. Swadron, let it rip. Tell us your best case ever. Okay, so Anton, I think that in terms of best case ever, I'm not gonna give you the best case ever because my best cases ever are all identifiable. Some of the most amazing things that have happened to me down in Los Angeles either have to do with people that are famous, and so that's kind of off limits, or they are so bizarre that they're identifiable. But I thought that what might be really interesting for the Canadian listeners is just to give a couple of examples of things that are so different in the US that, that they're jarring. So I'll just tell you quickly about two cases that really illustrate the differences between our two healthcare systems. The first one was within weeks of arriving in the United States, I was a resident in emergency medicine, and a patient had arrived, and he had with him a referral note from his doctor and an EKG. And the referral note said, it was from a private MD's office, said this patient's been having substernal chest pain for the past two hours, he has a lot of risk factors, including hypertension and diabetes, and his EKG shows an acute STEMI. Wow. So, I mean, how did this guy get to the hospital? Well, what had happened is that he went to his doctor's office, fair distance from actual downtown Los Angeles, where our county hospital is located. He's had his son with him. He says, you better drive your dad to the ER, the county ER in downtown Los Angeles. And so he drove, and it probably took somewhere between an hour and a half to two hours with his active STEMI to get to the emergency department, saw the nurse in triage, came right into the booth. I'm looking at this and saying, what the hell? I mean, I'm thinking doctors in the States are evil. This doctor saw him in the office and diagnosed a STEMI and didn't even call 911, didn't even call an ambulance to take this guy to the hospital. This doctor is evil. And I, and I felt this horrible, horrible feeling until it was explained to me, you know what, that doctor's not necessarily that bad a guy. He knew what would happen if he called 911. If he called 911, he would be taken to the closest emergency department and he would be treated like a king, like, like everyone is in terms of coming in with a STEMI, you go straight to the cath lab, as you know, people generally do in the LA area, and then he would have been bankrupt, and his family would have been bankrupt for the rest of their lives, because 
the cost that would be incurred by an acute care visit of a few days to an American hospital is going to be enough to, you know, that's the same of his salary for 10 15 years. So the story really is in the U.S., and this is still happening now, and I actually started collecting these cases, is that you basically are going to go bankrupt unless you show up to a county hospital where you can enter an alternative payment schedule and you can sort of show your financial documents that you don't have money. In that case, it will be paid for. Outside of that, you're screwed. And so that was a real sobering lesson for me. Well, these are things we don't even think about in Canada. What are some of the other differences main huge differences, do you think, between American and the Canadian system? In Canada, the public's always complaining about trying to get an MRI. It takes six, nine, 12 months. Yeah, and we have the same problem with our publicly run system. So if you're, for example, on the Medicaid or Medi-Cal, we call it in California, plan, it's the same type of thing. It's kind of like being in the Canadian system, but 100 times worse because it's so difficult to access all those special tests and joint replacement surgeries are almost out of the question for patients on Medi-Cal. They just wait forever, even to get their gallbladder out. They have to suffer 12 attacks and 12 emergency visits before they actually get their gallbladder out, that type of thing. So we have a lot of problems in that respect. We have this law called EMTALA in the U.S., the Emergency Medical Treatment and Active Labor Act that's been uh, in effect for a few decades now, that basically mandates that the emergency departments see and stabilize every emergent medical condition. But it doesn't say anything about the money and the payment. It's an unfunded mandate. And so for years, the emergency departments and their hospitals have had to pick up the cost of all these patients that don't have insurance, that don't have funding. And so that's been the, the problem that we're struggling with. So for example, if a patient does have an emergency and they go to an emergency department, there's an obligation to treat, okay? And because those hospitals are not public, they're gonna send them a bill. And so this is sort of a situation that's been created by a combination of our EMTALA and other Band-Aids on a system that essentially is, is broken and just waiting to be fixed. So do you ever get into situations where you have patients that come in and you ask them, uh, well, I think we should get a CAT scan or I think we should get an MRI. And the patient says, well, hold on, I can't afford that. And do you ever get into situations where Absolutely. you don't know what to do? Absolutely. This the is a commonplace situation. Absolutely. Now, at the county hospital, like I was telling you, if the patients are able to demonstrate that they're financially destitute with a financial services worker, the county's going to pick up the tab. But if you come and you're wealthy, Okay, you're not getting off easy. The county will bill you. In fact, the county hospitals, ironically, will bill you more than some of the fancy private hospitals like Cedars-Sinai and such because they're desperate to, re to recover the cost of all the uninsured care that they're. So ICU bills for people that can pay at the county hospital actually twice, three times sometimes what they are at our private hospital across the street at USC. And so that's actually kind of surprising for people to hear. Let me tell you about another case that sort of hits home uh, with respect to this insurance issue. I had a patient last week who was an immigrant from Central America who was diabetic and didn't know it, like so many of our patients don't, and he came in with an end-stage necrotic infection of his leg. He had a necrotizing soft tissue infection of his leg, okay? It looked horrible, and his presenting blood pressure was 75 systolic. He was in septic shock and about to die from this fungating necrotic leg. And so we obviously immediately proceeded our resuscitation and we got him all set up with his antibiotics and IVs and we called the surgeons down immediately and said this guy needs to go straight to the OR to have this dealt with. And neither myself nor my residents nor the surgeons and the surgical attending could convince this gentleman 
to go to the operating room. And we told him, we said, you know, dude, you're going to be dead in two hours. You know, even if you go to the OR, you might, you know, there's still probably about a 50% mortality. And it was just impossible. And one of our wonderful, wonderful nurses saw that we were having all this distress, that we were like, oh my God, what is going on here? We're going to lose someone's life because of some stupid money issue. And she talked to him, and she was able to identify exactly what the problem was. And in fact, it was a money issue. And this gentleman said to her, you know what, I hear all that what these doctors are saying, but let's talk about the facts. If I die, I die. And you know what, that's terrible, but that's one thing. If I don't die, and I come out of this surgery majorly disabled, with a huge hospital bill, well, then I've really killed not just myself, but my whole family. And they don't have a chance in this country. And that's what he said to her. And uh, that wonderful nurse was able to then subsequently get some of our, our immediately call some financial services workers in. We sat down at the bedside and we had to prove to them. We had to show them that because he was unable to pay for this and he didn't have a bank account and he didn't have the means, that this was in fact going to be picked up by the county. And we had to prove that to him. And then he finally consented to go to the OR. Wow. And in, in, in a way, it makes me feel like I'm fulfilling the Hippocratic Oath that much more. I feel really good about it because I know that these people really, really, really need me. And they're in the prime of their lives, young people that have treatable things, you know, that aren't recognized. This guy is an example that I just told you about. I mean, he's diabetic and doesn't know it, never been to a doctor, didn't think that he could ever be afforded that luxury until he's at death's door, basically. Well, there you have it. One man's opinion, albeit one very smart man's opinion who's practiced in both Canada and the U.S. based on two cases that he's personally been involved in on some of the challenges that the U.S. healthcare system faces. Now I'm the first to admit that I'm no expert on healthcare policy. Far from it. And neither is Dr. Swadron. And for sure, Canada also faces significant health policy challenges that affect our emergency departments. But perhaps these cases will help stimulate some discussion from our listeners worldwide on the EM Cases website, which I encourage you to log into and comment on, about how we might be able to improve both the Canadian and U.S. healthcare systems to help improve patient care in REDs. Speak your mind. Perhaps we can learn from each other. <laughs>